Pray with us. Father, we begin this series with the same way we want to begin everything that we do. Lord, by coming to you and asking for your blessing upon it. God, we pray that you would use this book to to speak to us. God, we, we want to glimpse Jesus through this book. God, transform us, shape us into the people that you want us to be, Lord. Help us to be your light and your salt in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can go ahead and grab a seat. Let me also welcome you this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the staff here. Great to gather with you this morning. On your way in, you should have received one of these uh, 1 Corinthians booklets. This is, our, this is our gift to you, but if you do want to uh, just help us recover some of the costs, a $5 donation would be greatly appreciated. But basically, take this book. Th- this is your tool over the next uh, two years. Uh, yes, that's how long we'll probably be in 1 Corinthians for. Uh, you'll see that on one side is a bunch of the text. This is actually the, the text of 1 Corinthians, and on the other side is a blank space. Feel free to write in that, take notes in that. Uh, use this. Do whatever it takes to get what God has to say from him to Paul to this letter, from your mind to your heart and to your Actions And so write in this book, let that be a tool to you, write your name in it so that after the gathering when our kids are coloring in them, we'll still know which one is yours. Well, I'm very excited to be in this book, 1 Corinthians. I, I feel like uh, this has been in many ways a long time coming. I actually remember four years ago when Jake, one of our pastors here, was, was talking about planting this church, asking him what book or what series he would want to begin with, and he mentioned 1 Corinthians. He was kind of explaining to me why he wanted to to look at this book four years ago, and honestly, I was kind of bummed in the moment that I wasn't going to be a part of this church. I was like, oh, that sounds great. Bless you. I'm going to listen to those sermons online, and now I actually get to be a part of this church And more so, you know, when we started uh, as a church a couple years ago, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's all great. I love the Sermon on the Mount. But I was kind of like, but where's 1 Corinthians? So there's this kind of continued anticipation building. And now now finally I get to actually be here and help preach through this. So I'm very excited. You know, there's a lot of very important things, some fascinating things, some scandalous things that Paul is going to discuss in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he's going to talk about the nature of wisdom, the danger of division, what godly sexuality looks like. He's going to talk about marriage and singleness and divorce. He's going to talk about lawsuits. He's going to talk about idolatry and kind of laying aside our rights for the sake of others. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we have that famous chapter on head coverings. We maybe have the lengthiest kind of uh, discussion on spiritual gift, these supernatural abilities that God gives us. In 1 Corinthians, we have the passage on the Lord's Supper, a passage that will be read this morning all across the world. We have the famous love chapter. 
And then climaxing in 1 Corinthians, we have that amazing passage on Jesus's resurrection and the future resurrection that we will all experience with him one day. So I'm excited to look at those topics together. But honestly, 1 Corinthians is so much better than its individual parts. What makes 1 Corinthians so good, so valuable, so necessary for us today is that 1 Corinthians teaches us what it looks like to be the church. We need to hear that today. What does it look like to be this church in this city, in our current context and climate? Well, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to this bunch of Christians in Corinth. So we read in the first couple verses, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul's writing this with his brother Sosthenes, brother in Christ, not actual brother. And they're writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, unlike some of the other letters Paul wrote in the Bible, he is very familiar with this church in Corinth. Take that in contrast, for example, to Paul's lengthiest letter to the Romans. Paul had never visited that church in Rome. But what we find out from the book of Acts, Luke there is kind of acting as this historian, and he tells us that Paul planted the very first church in Corinth. Happened around A.D. 50. Luke tells us that Paul spent about a year and a half there, and then he goes away. And so it's now two years since Paul has left Corinth, and he is in Ephesus, and Paul begins to get this report of the things that are going on back in Corinth. Apparently, there were some people, we we hear they're they're referred to as Chloe's people, They, they kind of bring this report to Paul about what's going on in Corinth. So in chapter 1, verse 11, or 5, verse 1, or 11, verse 18, we hear this language of Paul saying, it's been reported to me. There's these people, and they've come, and they're kind of telling me what life is like in in and amongst your church. But in addition to that, there had obviously been some correspondence back and forth between Paul in Ephesus and this church in Corinth. The, The Corinthian church had written one two, maybe numeral uh, messages, letters to Paul, kind of asking him about certain issues. So throughout the book, we'll hear this language of now concerning this thing. Now, now concerning this. It's as though they've brought up those questions in their previous letters. So the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, is a letter to a specific people, concerning specific issues in a specific context. What's fascinating is that Corinth is eerily like Vancouver. Normally, when we read the Bible, we we try to understand the context in which it's written, the the people and the situation in which it's written, and then we kind of draw out principles and apply them in our own day and context. Well, doing that in the book of 1 Corinthians is maybe as easy as it gets. 
the gap from 1 Corinthians or Corinth to Vancouver is the smallest gap from the New Testament world to today. I would actually argue that Corinth is more Vancouver than Vancouver is. Corinth is, try, it, it, Corinth is what Vancouver is trying to be. So on the screen, I'll throw up a picture of where Corinth is. Corinth is a Roman colony in modern-day Greece. It's about an hour drive west from Athens. Heath, one of our pastors, has actually been there. Trust me, every staff meeting, he likes to flex on us. While I was in Corinth, in the Agro-Corinth, visiting this temple and walking this street. So trust me, you will hear all about Corinth from Heath. But if you go there today, you can actually still see a, a, a lot of the ruins from the New Testament world. Corinth was a very strategic place for Paul to plant a church because of where it was located geographically. Corinth was a port city, but, but not just any port city. It was, in many ways, the port city. It was at the intersection of trade between east and west. If I zoom in, you'll see that Corinth is kind of located on the isthmus. That's a very difficult word to say. But it's this land bridge. And so what would happen is you would be sailing the Mediterranean Sea, and, and you would get to Corinth, and you had, would have a decision to make. Do you keep going south? Do you go around the rest of Greece? The problem with that is, one, it takes time and cuts down on profits. And two, it's actually quite dangerous to go south. There was a saying in Corinth that said, you see Malia twice, Malia is that little city on the tip of the bottom there of Greece. You see Malia twice and you die. So that, that's, your, that's your option, right? 50-50, basically. Sail south, maybe you make it, or you travel across land to the other side. Now today in Corinth, there's actually a canal, a man-made canal, so that boats can actually get across that isthmus. But, but in the time of the New Testament world, what would happen is you would actually pay people to pull your ship onto land, they'd, they'd drop log rollers on the land, and you'd pull your boat across the other side. And, and so basically, you get to Corinth and you're stopping in Corinth. Corinth would have been this, this bustling cosmopolitan city. There would have been a lot of money flowing through Corinth, as, a lot of, as well as a lot of people flowing through Corinth. Corinth was an aspirational city. It's an aspirational city. If you wanted to climb the social ladder, well, well, you came to Corinth. If you wanted to make a name for yourself, you come to Corinth. If you want to get rich or die trying, you come to Corinth. Corinth was this aspirational city. Now, you would think that maybe you would go to Athens for that, but by this time already, Athens had kind of become this old college or this old university town. Athens was made up with a bunch of has-beens. 
The, the, the culture in Athens was, was too entrenched in this aristocracy, aristocracy, aristo, that word, and, and, and these hierarchy of schemes. That, that you, it was hard to kind of to, to climb the social ladder. And so what you do is you, you would go to Corinth. Corinth was still this volatile and fluctuating city where, where you could kind of expand out and kind of make a, make a name for yourself. Sounds a little bit like Vancouver. It was an aspirational city, but it was also an explorational city. See, with all the people that would be traveling into Corinth, there was a lot of diversity. You people would be coming from all different sorts of backgrounds and worldviews and religions. Basically, Corinth became this big religious buffet. And you just kind of pick and choose whatever you want. I'll have a little bit of that from that cult and that temple. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll mix them together. And you kind of, you make whatever you want for yourself. You just, you just kind of, whatever suits your fancy, you just pick and choose, right? You do you, as we like to say here in Vancouver. You do you. They had their own saying, of course. We actually probably hear that saying in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. That's probably the saying going around in Corinth at the time. I can do whatever I want. Freedom to do all. So it became this aspirational and this explorational city. And Paul finds out that those two gods had actually become to, come to make their way into the church. And so Paul is now going to write to that church and try to reorient their minds as to what it actually looks like to properly be the community of God. This morning, we're looking at our introduction. But if you look closely in these first nine verses, what you'll see is that Paul is already beginning to lay out the major themes that he will cover over the rest of the letter. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth. I think that's the main point right there of the whole letter. Let me read again. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, that that might not sound like this big deal, like how are you getting the main point from that, but it's a big deal when you consider the different ways that Paul starts his other letters. So, So listen to these other starts to these letters. Galatians, to the church of Galatia, he writes. Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Colossians, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. But then he begins 1 Corinthians and he says, to the church of God in Corinth. I'm writing to Galatia. I'm writing to Ephesus. I'm writing to Colossae. I'm writing to Philippi. But here I'm writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. Let me ask you, what's the purpose of the church? Now, I get it. If you're new to Christianity, you you might have any idea. That's fine. Welcome here. Figure this out with us. But what's the purpose of the church? Or maybe let me ask you a different way. 
why are you part of the church? Why do you gather with other Christians? See, if we answer that question in a manner that has to deal with us, I think we've missed the point. The the point of the church is not us, it's God. I'm writing, Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. When Paul says that he's writing to the church of God, what he's doing is he's confronting this rampant selfishness and individualism that was penetrating into the church. He says, you belong to God. See, we ha- it's as though we have these, these compasses that, that orient the way we live and the things we pursue and the things we desire. And it seems like if we just let the compass go unchecked for a while, true north begins to point to ourselves. It just constantly keeps coming back to us. And Paul says, no, 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 true north ought to be God. You live for God. We don't, we don't come to church. We don't gather as a church. We're not the people of God so that we just come here. We just get pumped up. We get our spiritual encouragement. We get all hyped and energized and encouragement from all these other people and this great sermon on Sunday and the awesome music. And then we go outside and we live the Vancouver dream. That's not why we gather. That's not the purpose of the church. We live for God. We gather to show God. I think this is the main idea of 1 Corinthians. The church is the manifestation of God. The church is the manifestation of God. That's the main idea I think Paul will drive at through the rest of his letter. See, the Corinthian church basically wanted to be Corinthian with a side of Christian. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Everything you do, in everything you do, your aim is to manifest God, to display God, to put God on the pedestal for the rest of your city to see. The church is the instrument by which God makes himself known in our worlds. So church, we are Christ City East Vancouver, but that's actually not our full name. We are Christ City Church of God in East Vancouver, but that sounds clunky and so we don't put it on our website, but that's ultimately who we are. We are the church of God. We belong to God here in East Vancouver. And our aim in all that we do as we bump into our friends and our neighbors, in our day-to-day lives with our kids, with our friends and with our coworkers, and everything we do, our goal is to display God here in East Vancouver. The church is the manifestation of God. But what does that look like? How does that actually happen? Let me give you three points this morning. First, 
The church is the manifestation of God in cruciformity. In cruciformity. Let me just define that word. I think this is maybe the easiest definition for cruciformity. Cruciformity is a life shaped by the cross of Christ. A life shaped by the cross of Christ. The church is the manifestation of God in a life shaped by the cross of Christ. And we want to know what that looks like. Paul says, look at me. Look, look at Paul. Paul, Paul said, I'll show you what cruciformity looks like. He says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of discussion has surrounded that, that word apostle here. What is Paul doing by, by drawing attention to himself as an apostle? Well, I, I don't think this is Paul making this big power grab. This is not Paul going like, hey, pay attention to me. I'm this big deal. I'm so great. Hey, I even have the title apostle. So, so, so listen up. I'm going to tell you how, where it's at. I, I don't think Paul's doing that. See, an apostle was someone who had encountered the resurrected Jesus and who had then been commissioned by Jesus to tell other people about him. And so Paul, in many ways, when he calls himself an apostle, he's saying, look at me because I've experienced Jesus and I can show you what Jesus is like. As an apostle, Paul becomes maybe the clearest window into the life and person of Jesus. Paul's aim was to display Christ through his body. So in the letter of 2 Corinthians, there's going to be some more correspondence with this church. Paul kind of describes the way he's had to live in order to kind of live on mission for Jesus. This is the consequence of Paul trying to tell other people about Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, we read this. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was actually adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Paul comes to Corinth, and he says, hey, pay attention to me. I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to tell you about the real God in the person of Jesus. And they go, why should we listen to you? What's your credentials? 
Paul says, you want my credentials? Look at the scars on my back. See see the, the bruises from where my hands were just in chains. See the welts on my body from the stones and the rods. See how frail I am, just starving, desperate for food and for drink. Paul, you, you, think, you think I live this way just for nothing because I want to? You, you think I'd live this way if I hadn't actually seen Jesus alive? No, I've seen him. And I want you to see him, so I'm going to show you in my body. This is what Jesus looks like. This is the suffering Jesus endured so that you wouldn't have to, Paul says. So later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be like me. And see, the Corinthian church did not like that. They didn't. See, Corinth was a city of winners. It's a city of winners. Every two years, Corinth would host the Isthmian Games, which is just another form of the Olympic Games. So this is a city that loved its great athletes who would just discipline their bodies and try to be greater than everyone else. Corinth was a military city. It was, a, it was a strategic outpost for Rome for their kind of military exploits that would go further east. So Corinth loved those who won at war. They, they loved a good victory. You, you come to Corinth to, to rise above the rest. You come to Corinth to be the best at whatever it is you do. And so you come to Corinth and you do whatever it takes You're ruthless. And here's Paul in this culture of success, of self-promotion. And Paul says, the gospel. The gospel. This, This humble thing, the gospel, that you don't earn your stripes, but that God gives it to you. That, that's what our life is supposed to be like. You, you, you aim for that. See, the church, it, it lives a life of cruciformity. It, it lays down its life for the sake of others. It sacrifices our own gain for the benefit of those around us. It loves others before itself. It denies our rights so that others might experience true flourishing. It looks like losing so that others might win. Christ City Church of God in East Vancouver, when, when the world looks, like a, looks at us, it, it's not supposed to see a God who stands above his, his enemies, but a God who hangs above its enemies. It doesn't look like a God who crushes those in his way, but a God who lays down his life for those who oppose him, for those who are hurting, for those who didn't make it. We manifest God in cruciformity. But secondly, we do that also through word and deed. Through word and deed. Let's look at these in reverse order. 
Verse 2 again says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says that he's writing to those, in verse 2, to those sanctified, really he's saying, I'm writing to those who have been made holy. Or when he says, you have been called to be saints, he's saying, you've called to be holy. It's holiness. We display the character of God in our holiness. Now, there are two aspects to holiness. The first one is moral purity. So being a port city, Corinth would have had a lot of vices flowing into it. It was an incredibly hedonistic city. You basically go out and do whatever you think would make you happy. Often this looked like gluttony and alcoholism, but definitely it looked like sexual immorality. Prostitution was rampant in Corinth, heterosexual and homosexual. And it turns out the church, as we will find later in this letter, was falling into all of those vices. It wasn't living in accordance with God's moral standard. It wasn't showing the world that true flourishing happens when we actually live in submission to God's design. So Paul will say, no, you pursue moral purity. You pursue holiness. But holiness is more than just moral purity. It's also a distinctiveness. Holiness looks like being different. See, one of the challenges facing this church in Corinth and facing our church today is assimilating into the rest of culture. The church is to be in the world like the boat is supposed to be in the water, but God help the church when the water gets into the boat. See, Corinth was a very pluralistic society. It had all its different religions, all its different belief systems, and so the real challenge facing Corinth, like it is, I would argue, here in Vancouver, was not outward kind of physical persecution, The world wasn't trying to persecute the church. The world was trying to seduce the church. Hey, hey, come have a little bit of this. Ooh, this looks fancy and nice. Come come indulge in in this thing. And all of a sudden, the, the, the church, the line between the church and the world begins to disintegrate. And when that happens, the church loses its effectiveness. The the astonishing thing about God's purpose for the church is that we are most effective when we are most different. We're most effective when we're most different. And so Paul will say, stop what you're doing. Live like the people God has called you to be. You have a new identity. You are not Corinthian. You are Christian. See, the world is supposed to be curious. It's supposed to have this constructive curiosity about, ooh, what is it that makes those people different? Or better yet, who is it that makes those people different? Now, what's interesting here is that Paul says, if we are going to be holy, we need each other. 
We need each other. We don't do this alone. He says, verse 2, to the churches of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. We're holy together. We need each other. I need your example. I need you to walk with me and hold me accountable. I need the joy of living in community with you so that I care more about that than I do all the other pleasures of this world. I need you to uphold the beauty of Christ so that that's what I'm pursuing. We, we pursue moral purity and distinctiveness together. The world's supposed to look at us and go, that is a very diverse group of people, and yet they are incredibly unified. Why? Why do, they, why do they all push in the same direction when they still seem to be so different from one another? We display God indeed in our holiness, in our holiness together. But we also manifest God in our speech, in our speech. Look at verses 4 to 7. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony among you about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinth was a city that deeply loved rhetoric and oratory. It it cared a lot about what people could say. So in those Isthmian games, those Olympic games, if you will, one of the competitions was poetry or or public speaking. It, It gave out prizes to people who could speak the best. Often, uh, public speakers and philosophers and poets would would come to Corinth, they'd stand up on a stage, they'd they'd give their spiel, there'd be a whack load of people listening to them, and the city would basically decide, yeah, we like this person. Yeah, 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 that, that, that sounds good. We'll keep you around. Hey, why don't you come stay with me? People will really like it if you, we could hang out together. So, so you, you come live with me. I'll kind of pay your way, and, and you'll just make a go of it here in Corinth. And if they didn't like what you had to say, well, essentially, they, they'd kick you out of town, which is why later on, they'll, they'll try to basically kick Paul out of town. Hey, Paul, we don't really like what you have to say. But, but it, it valued speech. Very much, I would argue, like we do here in Vancouver. We constantly have this never-ending stream of, of new books, of the, of the latest ideas showing up on, in our bookstores. Think of all the, the conferences and conventions we host here in Vancouver. We love TED Talks. We, we spend millions of dollars on advertising. Right? We, we value people who have a lot of social media followers because we, we think, oh, obviously those people have the loudest voice. Right? That's the competition going on in our city right now. Who has the loudest voice? And Paul says, you are not lacking in your culture's greatest commodity. 
in a culture that deeply valued speech, Paul says, you have the gift of speech. God has given you a supernatural ability to communicate with other people. I recently watched the film CODA. It stands for Children of Deaf Adults. In that film, uh, the story follows a grade 12 student named Ruby. Now, Ruby has deaf parents. Her brother is also deaf. She's the only speaking individual in her, fam- in her family. And, and Ruby, she wants to be a singer. But she's facing this internal tension. One, she, she's not sure if she sounds funny. Her whole life she's grown up thinking and having other people tell her that, that she sounds funny. But more than that, she's not sure if that singing is really what she's meant to do. I mean, my goodness, her own family can't even encourage her and listen to her sing. Well, one day, Ruby has a discussion with her choir teacher. And her choir teacher says this. He says, Do you know what Bowie once said about Bob Dylan? A voice like sand and glue. That's, that's the Bob Dylan. A voice like sand and glue. He goes on to say, there are plenty of pretty voices out there, but with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? There are plenty of pretty voices out there with nothing to say. But do you have something to say? Christ City, hear this. We have something to say. We have something to say. In this world that offers all sorts of of helps, of all sorts of encouragements, trying to get people moving along, all of those words in many ways are empty and hollow. It's what we have to say that's of eternal significance. And it's not, we don't have something to say because we sound pretty or the way we do it is all impressive. We have something to say because it's true. Because it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so that enemies and sinners who have rebelled against him don't have to pay their own penalty. It's that good news that ultimately brings transformation and restoration in this world. And so yes, Christ City, we have something to say. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in all the voices of this world, though ours may be in many ways very quiet compared to the rest of them, do you believe that what we have to say is more important than the rest? We manifest God by pointing to the cross, and we do that through our actions and our words. But lastly, we manifest God by grace. By grace. If you read this introduction, it it sounds like Corinth is, or this church in Corinth, isn't doing that bad. It it sounds like they're they're all right, actually. Like, like listen to these words again in verses 4 onward. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You read those words and you think, this church is not doing that bad. But actually, you keep reading this letter and you find out this is maybe the worst church in the New Testament world. This church is a disaster. They're they're a complete mess. So my question is, why can Paul start on a note of encouragement here? It's because ultimately... Our identity, the church in Corinth's identity, is not determined by what we do, but by what Jesus has already done for us. We are not, despite what we want to believe in this culture of meritocracy, we are not a self-made people or a self-maintained people. Our worth isn't determined by us. Listen, you need to hear this this morning. Your worth is not determined by what you do or by what you have not yet done. Your worth is determined by what God has already done for you in Jesus. That's what makes you a valuable and important people. That's why Paul can rejoice over messy churches. This call... This call to manifest God in our lives is hard. We fail regularly, but Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Listen how Jesus saturated this introduction is. Okay, if you have a pen, now's your time to circle every instance you see the word Jesus or Christ. Listen to this. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who at every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in every, any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the faithful one here. When our heart is steely and cold to the people around us, Jesus still says, I love you, and I still care about you, and you don't care about anyone else when we pursue things that make us look good, when we pursue things so that people will think highly of us, Jesus says, I'm not done with you, though, and I'm still going to pour out my blessing upon you. When we lose our patience with our kids, when we feel like we're just done sacrificing, 
Jesus says, my sacrifice still stands. When we sin and rebel with our bodies, Jesus says, my body was broken so that your body wouldn't have to be. When we abuse the gifts and the talents that God gives us, Jesus says, I'm refining you with my spirit. When we're tired and we want to throw in the towel, Jesus says, I will sustain you. When the opportunity to share the good news comes up and we clam up, Jesus says, I became the word made flesh and I made you my sons and my daughters. When we feel like walking away because we're just done and we're not sure if this Christianity thing is for us, Jesus says, I'm still holding on to you. It's all about Jesus. Jesus in the failures in the downs, in the ups and the victories. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And so Paul is going to say, you need to hear this, church. Paul is going to say some hard things in the rest of this letter. Paul's going to have to rebuke us and challenge us, and we're going to be just greatly confronted with our sin. We're going to be convicted But underneath all of that is the foundation that Jesus is faithful. We manifest God in cruciformity by word, by deed, but underlying that all over it, left, right, center, in the middle of it, is grace. We manifest God by the grace that Jesus supplies, and so we cannot fail because he is faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, I feel like (laughs) we haven't even made it out of the first nine verses, (laughs) and yet already you're beginning to challenge us and work on us. God, please forgive us. Forgive us for those times when we want the world to think highly of us instead of thinking highly of you. Forgive us, Lord, for those times when our holiness has gone astray and we've walked into worldliness. God, you know what we've done with our body, with our eyes, with our hands, with our lips. They're an affront to you, God, and so we just ask you, would you please forgive us? God, and then we come to you and say, help, help us, God, by the power of your spirit, help us, help us to manifest your presence here in East Vancouver. God, we need you, and yet we also rejoice because we know you are good and faithful. Your promises are sure. In Christ Jesus, we pray, amen.